Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, historic Royal Baby Souvenir Edition. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host for tonight's momentous episode. And the man weeping tears of joy in the chair opposite me is none other than renowned royal historian and occasional cricket pundit, Tony Kerr. Good evening, Adam. Yeah, I'm sure uh, people will be burning this episode off onto a CDR, stowing it away. Perhaps we can put a little... CD sleeve, maybe to download and print out on the Facebook page, and then yeah, people can tuck it away. Like you know, in fifteen 50 quid, fifteen quid a day. <laughs> you know, nice little learner. Thanks very much. Fifty years later, you know, just oh, I want to reminisce about the royal baby. Boom, straight in it goes. Into, well, the body won't be CD players then, will or, it? Or so. when he's a precocious teenager. Precocious little. T- <laughs> <laughs> people will be reminiscing about happier times when uh, when the world went mad. Because yeah, Tone, what a week! What a historic week! We've had a baby. Britain, <laughs> We've had a baby. Britain has had a baby. How have you been celebrating? How are you feeling, man? You must be knackered. I'm t- I'm shattered. <laughs> How have you been celebrating? Oh, you know, popping bubbly left, right, and centre. Just hugging randomers in the street, that sort of thing. Uh, oh, what a week. I mean, it's worse than I expected, let's put it that way. Unbelievable. <laughs> Long-term listeners will be well aware of how much you enjoyed the royal wedding, for example, and how much of a fan you are in general of the royal family and how much you've been looking forward to the birth of the royal baby. No, just very simply, I have no problem with us having a monarchy. Quite like the monarchy, in a way. Well, ambivalent, I'd say, probably to it. Uh, just bored, though. It does, it's not. Don't put it in my news. I mean, it's not news, really, is it? At the end of the day, it's a couple in their early 30s have had a baby. Uh, that's, that's basically I mean, what's happened here. The news, particularly... Well, I haven't really read the papers because, what's it, like 17, 18 pages have been dedicated to it each day for the last three. So that's been a no-go for me. But the television news has really struggled. It's, <laughs> I mean, been desperately bad, hasn't it? Just some of the stuff we have to put up with. It's like it's a parody. It's like they're they're parodying that type of thing. There was a, there was a bit on Sky News where they uh, went to the Middleton's hometown and did a little interview with the the guy who runs the shop, like the the grocery shop there. They were just like, oh, so uh, when did you last see Carol? He's like, oh, two or three weeks ago. <laughs> they're like, oh, did, did she give any indications as to when the baby might be born? He was like, no, not really. She looked tired though. They were like, oh, that's interesting. It's like great stuff. Really well, this is the point, fascinating. Isn't it? There's virtually with a story like this, there's absolutely nothing to say. There's no <laughs> apart from oh, cool. You know, she's <laughs> yeah. having a baby. A baby's been born. Uh, there's no angle. There's you can't do analysis of it. You know, it's like tonight. So then we know the name now. Uh, George, you heard it here first. George, and I've Br- been bringing it to you exclusively <laughs> on the World Cricket Show. His name is George, <laughs> and I've you know just scrolling down my Facebook newsfeed, uh, <laughs> all kinds of really helpful comments from people. George Alexander Louis, what a nice tasteful name. Nine likes. Prince George Alexander Louis, what a lovely name. 
That was actually my status that last <laughs> one. To be fair, your sister's gotten on the act. Yeah, my sister's posted She's loving it. it. She's, she can't get enough A couple of, of other people also just doing HRH, Prince George, Alexander, Louis of Cambridge. I approve. <laughs> and another one saying HRH, uh, HRH, George, Alexander, Louis, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Love it. Don't, don't put it. No need to put it in your Facebook. Well, people, Don't tell me again! What people want, what those people want, is for someone to see it there first and then come up to them and be like, oh, I found out from your Facebook status. That's what they're looking for. So Ambitious, <laughs> given the amount of widespread nonsense. Well, you, you posted a Facebook status, didn't you? It's a girl. I got a lot of likes. It was my gag, but uh, you, didn't, you didn't credit me Satirical. for it. <laughs> what, what a gag as well what a, you know just imaginative there's not many subversive there's not many comedy writers that could have come up with something like that no uh so i mean what i mean it has been a pretty tough couple of days for me and let's be honest the worst possible timing the end of the heat wave a massive long break in the ashes worst possible timing yeah and it's in summer as well which is silly season anyway in terms of news there is no other news going on I mean, there probably is other news going on isn't there but there's, it's seemingly they're, they've been able to free up their schedules to just focus on the royal baby, HRH, Prince George uh, of Cambridge. I mean, a lot of the news reader, well, you know, kind of a lot of the journalists posted outside what it is called Bingo Wing or whatever it's called. What's it called? <laughs> limbo Wing? <laughs> it, I don't know. As I understand it, they've been doing bingo and limbo <laughs> while they wait for Something's the baby. Been going on. And, you know, it's just a scary horde of journalists. What should have been a really pleasant moment when the couple take the child out for the first time, show him off. And all you can hear in the background is people going like, ah! Like, <laughs> like William, William, look at this. Like, give him a break. Just let, I don't know, just piss off. I don't know, just let him get on with it. Yeah. No one, no one cares, at least of all me. Well, unfortunately, people do care, Tone. That's, that's what we're discovering here, is it not? But then I, I do feel like it's kind of manufactured in a way. Do, I mean, do people care? Do many people care as much the, as, you'd suge- as the news coverage would suggest? I don't know. I've seen some dreadful voxes with people. Admittedly, people who were there waiting to watch or to get a glimpse of the, the newborn as it comes out or whatever. Uh, as it comes out. As it, like, as it makes us first. As it bursts forth <laughs> into the world. Uh, and so, I mean, some of the nonsense, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, it's such an honour to be here to witness history. You know, in 50 years' time, I'll look back on this and it'll be like a defining moment in my life. <laughs> yeah. You just think, you know, third in line just, to the throne. Like, at that point, you need a hobby, really, yeah. don't you? Like, get take, into cricket. Yeah, exactly. Start, we should have been down there dishing out badges and stuff. <laughs> or at least, like, get involved in, like, a Scrabble club or something. Like, <laughs> just do something. I do wonder, though, like, you slightly obsessed with sport. I do wonder, is that how people who aren't into sport see people who are into sport? In many ways, it is as balmy. Well, yeah, but at least with sport, there's some kind of like tension or like drama. Yeah, there's there's something's going to happen, and you don't know what it is. I mean, I suppose with this, you didn't know what the name was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it, really, isn't it? Uh, well, we could, I mean, we could do half an hour on this. Couldn't yeah, we? well, I think we should st- start a spin-off Royal Baby podcast. As I understand <laughs> it, you're live blogging the first eighteen months of his life. Is that is that right? <laughs> minute by minute. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, did you enjoy the test match this week, Tone? We've had another one of these ashes that you've been hearing so much about. Uh, so we're, we're going to be talking about that a lot in a minute or two, aren't we? Yeah, uh, yeah I did enjoy it, actually, on the large. Certainly as an England fan, it was quite an enjoyable game. Uh, Australian listeners maybe uh, possibly enjoyed it a little bit less. But yeah, we'll be getting right in amongst that in just a moment. But, uh, well, here we are again, Tone. Me and you, together. <sighs> Bloody hell. 
Uh, I feel like I've seen far too much of you recently. Uh, we, we were in Sark, weren't we? One of the other Channel Islands. Went across there on a on a camping trip with a bunch of mates. Just a bunch of lads, wasn't it? A bunch of lads ladding about. And some girls. Well, yeah, some some ladettes as well were there, weren't they? Uh, you like it when I use the word ladette? Don't, no, you? I hate it. I actually hate it. Uh, but yeah, we were there for the sheep racing, which is exactly what it sounds like. And long-time listeners will remember that we went last year. And the year before, and the year before that as well. <laughs> yeah, we're very imaginative with our weekends away. Literally can't get enough of it. Did you have a good weekend? Uh, smashing, mate, yeah, smashing. Sark, for those of you who don't know, it's a pretty remarkable place. About 500 people live there. It's all atop this kind of plateaued island, 300 feet up in the air. Where well, it's just one big cliff. Yeah, really, it's basically it? a huge cliff with some grass on the top. There are no cars, everyone's mad. <laughs> like it's, it's really uh, everyone's completely bonkers, everyone is bonkers. it is a really interesting place and it always seems to be sunny whenever I go it's burning hot which is brilliant well it was very hot and it has been a heat wave here I don't know if we mentioned this last week uh, and, and yeah so we went across expecting glorious weather it was glorious for the most part but it was incredibly windy at our, at our campsite <laughs> it was like the windiest place in Britain I think this weekend just in that one field uh, but we we all had tents, didn't we? And uh, they just kept blowing away. But there was one bit where in the on the first evening, uh, we were in the pub, and these people suddenly came in and were like like really out of breath, and we're like, oh thank God we found you. Uh, we're staying on the same campsite as you. We noticed that your tents were blowing away. <laughs> uh, like don't worry, we managed to hammer them down, and I think they like took pegs out of their own tents and stuff like to to tie them securely. Beautiful people. Well, that was the thing though, because you said to me as as we were walking back to. Uh, to see what was going on you're like just much better people than us i feel like if i was in that situation if i was walking past and saw some people's tents blowing away i'd be like glad i'm not them <laughs> very glad i'm not them yeah i'd like to think that might have changed my attitude for going forward now that's i'd hate to be those guys <laughs> like, i mean we're, we're, we're in react. dire straits your tent looked a bit like a squid in full <laughs> flight because uh, it's like a kind of long blue thing the sides had kind of ripped up so they were kind of doing that squid wobbling thing yeah. that they do Actually, what, is it a squid? Yeah. Like, you know, on the side of squids, they've got flaps. What, like tentacles? No, no, no. On the actual side of the body. That's how they propel themselves, isn't it? They go like... <laughs> 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 uh, it looked like that, anyway. Right, yeah. I'll post a video of the kind of squid it looked like <laughs> right. if anyone is really bothered. I thought you were going to say, I'll post a video of me doing an impression <laughs> of that. Uh, well, so I, I was with a couple of other guys in the largest tent. Uh, just yeah, we pitched it at the highest point. Yeah, we, we thought, right, this tent's got the biggest surface area yeah. of any tent around here. Let's put it on the highest spot in the most exposed place. We kind of wanted it to be a kind of Parthenon for the campsite, uh, something that could be seen from all points and was looked up to. Just a ruin. <laughs> well, that's what, yeah, turned out to be, and it blew away. But I, I yeah, pretty much slept through everything. <laughs> yeah. We managed to sleep through a colossal thunderstorm on Saturday night. I woke up at about three thirty a.m to deafening rain on the top of my tent. I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that raining. And then I saw a flash of lightning, and then about five seconds later, a, a massive clap of thunder. And I thought, oh, God, thunderstorm, wasn't expecting that. And then I was sort of, like, nodding back to sleep, and I went, hang on, that's a bit scary, isn't it? So I quickly Googled tent in thunderstorm, <laughs> and it came up with, do not under any circumstances be in a tent in a thunderstorm. <laughs> so, uh, so I hot-footed it out of there. Didn't wait for anyone else. Didn't wake anyone else. I <laughs> just ran through the rain to the shower block and found friend of the show Alex already huddling there. Uh, and we waited it out in there and we just held each other. For, for a tender moment. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I mean, you. I could hear you snoring. In between the thunder, I could hear you snoring. Well, I wake up. So you just slept through it. At what must have been about half five, I should think. It was just getting light. and there was a, It was literally spitting with rain. I was like, oh, spitting. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back to sleep. Uh, I need to find out. Yeah, apparently there have been an almighty storm. So. Well, I don't know how you managed to sleep through it, but I feel like people were giving me a hard time for going and sheltering in the shower block. But, you know, sensible. Not only were we in tents, which offer you no protection, we'd also decided to pitch them under the two tallest trees on the campsite. And there was also a load of metal around <laughs> there. So it was like we were trying to attract a lightning strike. But people were like, oh, God, what, what are you scared? Oh, are you scared? It's like, oh, he's, he's scared of lightning. He doesn't want to get incinerated in his tent by a lightning strike. What a wimp. Ashes. This is the part of the show where we talk about the ashes because, Tony, it's the ashes. We've had the second test match of the ashes uh, and it was played at Lords this week. Of all places. Uh, of all places. Who would have expected that? And, well, after an incredibly tense, dramatic contest in the first game at Trent Bridge, uh, this one was none of those things, really, in that it was just a, a, a very, very one-sided victory for the home side. Uh, England winning the toss, batting first. Actually, that first day really belonged to Australia. England were 28 for three at one point. There was a great recovery through Ian Bell, who made 109, but they closed day one on 289 for seven. And Australia seemed to be very much in charge at that point. But then a last wicket stand between Stuart Broad and Graham Swan, gotten it up to 361. Ryan Harris took five for 72. But that seemed like it might be, you know, 50 to 100 runs short of a par score on what was a very, very good batting track. But Australia managed to make it look extremely sizable when they were bowled out for 128. Graham Swan took five for 44. That was a dismal collapse by the Aussies. England could have been forced to follow on. Elected not to. They were 30 for three at the end of day two, uh, but were stabilised through Joe Root and Tim Bresnan on the third morning. And Root went on to make 180, his second Test match 100. Bell made 74 as well. England declared on 349 for seven to set Australia a notional target of 583. Uh, and they were in trouble from the get-go. 36 for three at one point, eventually all out for 235. More wickets for Swan, four for 78. And wickets also for Bresnan, Anderson and Joe Root, two for nine. Uh, so England won that test match by 347 runs, uh, which is one of the most convincing margins of victory in their Ashes history. So Jermaine Greer, Toady from Neighbours, the incumbent... Well, it's not really funny anymore, is it? You know, not when they're not when they're genuinely <clears throat> taking one hell of a beating. Possibly not as uh, not as funny. A bit close to the bone, because uh, it really was a hammering this time, wasn't it? It was a right royal hammering. Does it almost feel a bit flat, or did you enjoy it uh, as much as <sighs> you know as much as you would have expected to as an England fan? I mean, it's getting slightly flat, isn't it? I mean, you know, the person I feel sorry for most of all in all this royal baby business is both of them because. <laughs> Uh, if anything, he should be on the front pages of all the papers with a, quite a lot of apologies, I think, from people, all the people who came out after the first test and before and scoffed at his prediction of a, you know, 10-0. Obviously, we're a long way away from that yeah. now. But loads of people were like, oh, you know, I think all these washed-up idiot ex-pros who you know, don't know what they're talking about should wind their neck in. Uh, I was actually, one of those people. That you was, were one of these. That so. was a Facebook status of mine. <laughs> uh and what you know, whilst both them was a bit over the top, you know, he, he was onto something, wasn't he? Well, it, it was a pretty well, well. It's been a pretty desperate start from the Aussies all round. Let's not let the the closeness of the first test gloss over what really was still quite a bad performance from them. There was only two freak 
partnerships that uh, that made the game look anything kind of unlike this one. Uh, I still, you know, my prediction of 3-0, I think, still stands. I can't see them being as bad again. You know, they're, they're not as bad as both of them suggest with a 10-0, but, yeah, they've, well, they've, the got, thing, to be, yeah, they've got to be very disappointed. But you say both of them should get some credit for, for predicting 10-0. There's still eight test matches to go in that sequence. There's a lot of time to turn it around. I also like the idea that you know, if the royal baby hadn't been born... Ian Botham would have been on the front page of, of all the newspapers <laughs> as people were like, we're sorry, Ian, we're sorry for doubting you. <laughs> like on the front page of like the Financial Times or something. Um, Australian listeners have been writing in expressing their horror at the events that unfolded at Lords. Stephen Carter emailed in asking, did it feel this bad as an England fan in the 90s? Yes. Uh, and the answer to that is yes. I mean, that's why there, there probably is a little bit of uh, schadenfreude for a lot of England fans because it, it is a sort of finally the boots on the other foot kind of thing. It's it's yeah it's really difficult to I don't know come to a satisfactory conclusion on whether I'd prefer this or a tight series. I mean nothing. We we talked about the first test and how it compared to Edgebaston 05. For me, whilst it was an extraordinarily enjoyable test match, it didn't compare because of the context. It was so it was so crucial and so incredible that we'd won that test after all the optimism going into that series. But this, you know, everyone was pretty confident. Everything that's happened so far has been fairly predictable. The only thing that's offered really any interest is the DRS, isn't it? Thank <laughs> God for the DRS. <laughs> well, firstly, I think it's pointless to compare this series to 2005 because nothing is ever going to compare to 2005. Like The narrative of that series where you had arguably the greatest team of all time in, in that Australia side being sort of taken down by England, who had had that sort of 18 months, two years of success leading up to it. And the way that, you know, the individual battles, Flintoff taking down Gilchrist, Hoggard taking down Hayden. I mean, my spine's tingling just thinking about this day. But like, so that's ne- it's never going to compare to that. So it, there's no point in that conversation, I would say. But that that's not to say that this wouldn't be a very entertaining series in its own right. At this point, it's looking like it's not going to be that entertaining. It's looking like it's going to be a sort of reverse of, a, of the 2001 Ashes or the... You know, the 0203 Ashes, where Australia were just very, very comfortable winners there. It appears to be heading that way, but with, with England winning. And as you say, like, as a cricket fan, what I want is for a competitive series. But every ball that I watch, I still want England to succeed in it, whether that, whether that's take a wicket when they're bowling or, you know, score, score a run when they're batting. I mean, as far as Australia are concerned, I don't think you have to be a genius to identify where it's gone wrong for them so far in this series which is lucky because we've only got me and you here. Uh, but, you know, it is their batting, isn't it? Their batting has failed spectacularly so far. And we did talk about that when we did our preview, didn't we? That that, that was always going to be where the series was, where the series would be won and lost. The key question was, could Australia's batsmen stand up to particularly Anderson and Swan? And the answer to that question so far is an emphatic no. Ten wickets for Anderson at Trent Bridge, nine for Swan at Lourdes. Of course, you know, England rely on Anderson. Uh, so quite how they've managed to win this when he only took three wickets in the match. Beyond me. Well, there was a good bit of uh, TMS commentary, wasn't there, where uh, I think Anderson, when he got rid of Siddle in the second innings, Agony was like, Anderson's done it again. It's that man Anderson yet again. <laughs> what was it, his second wicket in the game or something yeah. like that? Which is a very encouraging thing from England's perspective. But obviously he, he still had a, a big role to play by, by applying pressure. And Australia's... Uh, batting order just hasn't been able to cope with that and the top six has failed every inning so far and one quite extraordinary statistic is that the 10th wicket partnership has contributed 31% of their runs so far. Now you're not going to win any 
games of cricket if if with that kind of statistic are you there's only been two half centuries from batsmen in their top four no hundreds yet from anybody it's 10 test matches since a batsman in their top three last made a hundred and most crucially michael clark hasn't weighed in yet if he goes out and gets a big hundred they'll post a total if he doesn't they won't and at the moment england's bowlers have done a number on him and as a result they're way behind in the series how do they fix it though tone i mean can, can you see any clear way for them to fix it or is this just a case of they simply don't have the quality at the moment i mean is there anyone else they can bring in warner's just gone and hit 193 for the a team hasn't he uh in south africa yeah he would improve the team there's no doubt about that i imagine he'll be back he'll be on the first plane back after that innings uh because they they have to make a change up they're just they're yeah, they're just not quite there are they at the moment? So, well, that's why I mean that in a way, yes, they have to make a change. But in a way, there's there, there's no real obvious candidate to axe. I don't think because they have all chipped in in one innings. I think of the top seven, only Shane Watson is yet to score a half century. The problem is that all of those batsmen have scored one half century, but otherwise they failed three times. So there's not one guy there that you'd say is really struggling any more than any of the others. They're just they're just none of them producing. And yeah, I'm not sure who they do bring in. They, I'm sure they will bring in Warner. And he's a type of player that he could come off and, and therefore is probably worth giving a go. But I'm not sure that he's going to frighten England necessarily. We said, well, I think I said pre-series, you know, there's no, there are very few names in that team that really scare you. And obviously it's not all about names, but two tests in. Even Clark, you know, the way the rest of the batting lineup is performing, Clark poses again no threat. You think even if Clark gets a score, England is still going to win the match because no one's going to bat around him at the moment. Uh, Watson, Rogers, Kawaja, Hughes, Smith is just—it's very inviting, isn't it, to an England bowler? I'd imagine at this point. Well, Shane Watson is a real problem. He was sort of seen as being uh, a potential match winner for Australia, and in the last couple of Ashes series, he has actually done pretty well. Um, in 2009, he was—he was a real thorn in England's side. But so far in this series, he's, he's not made any kind of impact. He's got a couple of pretty 30s, but then got out. And he does have this very obvious technical failing, which is that he gets out LBW all the time. England feel they've got his number. I saw some wag on Twitter posting that the only thing bigger than Watson's front pad is his ego. Uh, and certainly that review in the first innings was was pretty extraordinary. Well, the Australian first innings here at Lords was was extraordinary in itself in the way that the wickets were just handed out to England, uh, kind of like candy at a parade. The Rogers dismissal was bizarre. Uh, that was when Swan, the ball kind of slipped out of his hand, didn't it? And it went up really high, looped down and hit him on the thigh. Missing yeah. leg stump, didn't review it. Shambolic kind of use of the review system again by the Australian team. Uh, Kawaja gave his wicket away. They all just, it just folded. Uh, you know, you wouldn't even say England were bowling that well at that stage. And having done quite well uh, on day one, you know, and it was their day on day one, having done quite well, they just gave it gave it away. And there's no shortage of kind of past Australian greats coming out. <laughs> quite funny today, Jeff Thompson's comments. The quotes this on the BBC Sport <clears throat> in the BBC Sport article. Uh, Can you do the accent for us, please? <sighs> do you have to? Do I have to? <laughs> you can do it in Brummie if you prefer. <laughs> Uh, basically, he said he, he's embarrassed uh, by the way the Australian batsmen are batting. Embarrassing, he says. But then he later goes on to say, I was impressed with the guys in the first game in Nottingham. I was proud. I thought, these guys aren't great, but then they're fighters. So he thought that. Now, after one performance, he's embarrassed by them, which I think is probably slightly too harsh for me. But then the difference here, though, I mean, yes, any side can have a bad game. I mean, England got absolutely trounced by South Africa at the Oval 
last summer. Um, you remember when uh, Amla got a triple century and they got 600 up for two. That didn't immediately make England a bad side getting beaten by that kind of margin. But the difference here is that, you know, this is now Australia's sixth test defeat in a row. And in that sequence, their batting has struggled again and again and again. And it goes back quite a long way as well. You know, they got skittled for, what, 47 against South Africa 18 months or so ago. This is not an isolated thing. It There are real problems in the batting. And I'm not sure what you do about it because I don't know who there is they can bring in. There's some talk of sending an SOS to Simon Katic, who's uh, playing county cricket in England. Uh, and in a way, that might have made some sense before the series, you know, as a sort of stopgap solution to, to try and force a result. But I don't really see the point now because you've got to think that the Ashes are gone. So bringing back a 37-year-old at this point is a bit useless. I, I mean, is there an argument there to bring Ponting back for the rest of the summer? Well, if you're going to bring Katic back, you may as well bring Ponting he's, back. Yeah, he's got a century in his last match. He's in the country, presumably. But then well, if you're going to do that, back. you may as well bring Warren back and Steve well, Warren back. Like, Warren's, at some point, they've got to move on. Warren's they? retired from all cricket. <laughs> and I think the timing is uh, interesting. He's probably thought to himself, crap, I'm going to get a call any day now. <laughs> I've got to get out of here, get the announcement out. So he's not an option. If I was an Australian selector, the, the two things I would do is I would bring in Warner, possibly for Phil Hughes, who did get that 80-odd not out. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Out in the first game, but but has done nothing in the three innings since. And I I just don't rate him as a test match batsman. I mean, it's possible that England were kind of rattled by what was happening at the other end when Hughes was batting in that, in that game when Ashton Agar was smacking them around. Because Hughes has just never really done it at test level for me. And in this game... Know, two dismissals, one chasing a wide one from a seamer, two LBW to Swan. Thanks very much, see you later. Just so predictable. So I'd probably drop Hughes. And I'd definitely change the batting order as well. I'd, I'd get Brad Haddon up the order a little bit, maybe slide Steve Smith down to seven. And for me, Michael Clark has got a bat at number three. He keeps on coming in with Australia in desperate trouble and there's even more pressure on him then. And particularly, he's in, you know, he can only hold one end up. If he's coming in with them three down, uh, while he's there one or two wickets are falling down the other end and then suddenly he's got to do something pretty special. Yeah, it makes more sense for him to bat for as long as possible. I mean, he wants to bat at five because that's where he's had all his success. There's that stat where he's, I think, the, got the best average of anyone who's batted at number five in test history, uh, but the worst average of anyone who's batted at number four in test history you know, for X number of innings kind of thing, uh, which is pretty remarkable and quite hard to explain as well because I'm not sure there's that big a difference. I mean, I guess the point is that he learned his trade at number five, didn't he? That's where he came into the team. That's where he feels 
secure. But when he came into the team, he had Hayden, Langer, Ponting, Martin ahead of him. At this point, he's got Watson, Rogers, Kawaja, Hughes. It is different, and as the the best and most experienced batsman, he has to bat at three, I think. I don't think he will, but that's what I would do. Australian fans must be doubly frustrated with the batsman because the pace bowlers are actually giving them a chance. I mean, England haven't made 400 yet in this series. They've managed to keep Cook and Trot and Peterson quiet so far. And if you'd said that before the series, you'd think that Australia would be in the game at that point, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, and they've all done it, haven't they? Uh, Harris comes in, takes five uh, in the first innings here. Pete Siddle as well, doing the business. Uh, Pattinson obviously gone now for the rest of the series. So Stress you know, fracture of the back. But not yet another really predictable element of the, the narrative. Well, he keeps getting injured, doesn't he? And, and that is a, a real problem. I, mean, I think he was uh, very upset by this latest one and sort of talking about how it keeps happening to him. And it does keep happening to him. And that, and that is a problem. Pretty tough on the guy. You, know, you don't want to see that. Uh, and people are quite rightly saying, you know, it, the fact that Australia's batsmen can't stick around for longer than 10 minutes at the moment really has put pressure on the bowlers. And, and you'd have to say it's directly kind of they're directly responsible for Pattinson's plane ticket home, aren't they? They may as well have like, joined together and paid for it. <laughs> I like the idea of Pattinson kind of walking off at the end of the uh, Lord's Test and Phil Hughes is just there with a the ticket. Just doing whip around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have thought Jackson Bird will probably replace Pattinson for the next game and he might be a good shout sort of line and length bowler people talk about him as the the next Glenn McGrath which might be overstating it a little bit but he'll certainly keep things tight and maybe uh, put some pressure on the England batsmen but for me they've just got to get Nathan Lyon in there Ashton Agar simply isn't good enough to be a frontline test match spinner at this point that's not to say he won't become one eventually but right now he isn't and England's spinner took nine wickets at Lords. Australia's spinner took none while Steve Smith took a few but I mean their, their frontline spinner took none Nathan Lyon might not be Shane Warne but he will still do a job. He he would have taken some wickets here, I think. And if they have a spinner doing a halfway decent job as well, supporting the pace bowlers, at that point, if they can win the toss bat first and get even 280, 300, they might be in with a chance. You know, It really would put England under pressure. It's in a way, it's quite a shame, but the Ashenegar knock in the first test is possibly the worst thing that could have happened for Australia, isn't it? Because it papered over the cracks somewhat in the first test, uh, flattered them a little bit, and guaranteed Agar is placed in the second test to be completely ineffectual so uh, you know good good innings as it was it's not really done them any favours at all uh, you know look I mean looking ahead Donovan come come across a weatherman on you but the heat wave's over man what well, we well, is the heat wave over yeah are you sure about that well maybe not the high pressure's over though let's put it that way right it's still warm isn't it but it's, it's going to be very unsettled and uh, you know what are we still we're still about Seven, well, we're a week away, aren't we? A week away from the uh, third test. You can see you can see a fair amount of interruptions, I think, in that test match. Looking at the forecast for this far out, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a meteorologist. Re- I've had my charts out. You're a regular Thomas Schaffernack. <laughs> uh, so you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking draw in this next match. You're a regular Carol, whatever her name is. He does BBC Breakfast. Carol, what is her name? I'm gonna look it up. Kirkwood. Carol Kirkwood. You're a regular like a, Carol Kirkwood. Like a David so. Brain. Well, possibly the most alarming thing from Australia's point of view, I think, is that England haven't even played at their top level yet. I mean, as I mentioned, what you'd say are their three best batsmen in Cook, Trot and Peterson are having 
unusually quiet series. Um, no runs for Matt Pryor yet either, and between them, those four averaged 82 with the bat in the last Ashes series. I mean, Cook and Trot were England's Ashes heroes in, in 2010. Uh, and they've just not scored any runs at all. Look at that. I mean, so England's far. top four run scorers, I mean, we're only two tests in, but top four run scorers, Bell, Root, Bairstow, Broad. Uh, I mean, you'd written Bell off at the start. Root I had it. Can I state Root again was a doubt, that I had it? And then Bairstow, uh, you know, Bairstow was a question mark. Broad was a question mark as well. So, <laughs> you know, it's a good effort from them, you'd have to say. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I think Trot looks in magnificent touch. I mean, every time he's he has got in in this series, he, he looks to be in great form. He just hasn't gone on yet. If he does go on, and if Cook returns to form as well, Australia are in all kinds of trouble. If they if they grind out a 150-run partnership, then then they'll just take the game away if if they're supported by the other guys as well. Yeah, I think that's the time to start feeling sorry for Australia. <laughs> when Cook and Trot bed in, you can feel sorry for spectators all around the world when, <laughs> when Cook and Trot bed in. What a game for Joe Root though. Settled the debate about whether he should be opening the batting. I don't know why you were ever questioning that tone. I was very much saying, no, get Root up there. I've got total faith in the guy. I think he will score runs as opener. And uh, it was a very mature innings that he played, under pressure. And a big innings as well, a daddy 100, wasn't it? A daddy 100. 180. A daddy, like, we, we could say, like a, a Prince William 100. Am I right? Because he's oh, a daddy now. Good. He's a daddy. Have well, you heard about this royal baby? <laughs> so. Caught whiff of it. I, I mean, what's a gooch call him a once-in-a-generation cricketer? You know, uh, uh, Gooch comes out after the 180 to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Not bold enough to come out before. Uh, but fair enough. Yeah, I mean, great innings, good to see. Uh, and you'd say possibly another spot nailed down in the batting lineup. I mean, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. all coming off for England at the moment. And yeah, you'd have to say Australia aren't making it difficult for them. But Breslin comes in, takes four wickets in the match. Thank you very much. Bowls really well. Uh, much more economical than Finn. Good, smart move. Yeah, Breslin, I thought, was was excellent. Uh, a lot of people were questioning his selection, but he managed to keep things very tight. That that England philosophy of bowling dry, that's what he does. And he picked up some crucial wickets. I think England feel that they're a much better team with him in it than than not. They really like him. They think he's a uh, an important element of their side. They want him in the team as much as possible. Uh, and so you'd imagine he'll play for the rest of the series now. And he, he, he looked great, I thought. He appears to have got his nip back after that operation possibly back somewhere near that that 2011 form when he was you know genuinely one of the best pace bowlers in the world at that point yeah root was man of the match for my money it should have been ian bell though because it, it was that first innings 100 that, that sort of rescued the game for him and they were in a, a deep hole on that first day three ashes tests in a row where he scored hundreds now bell and you wouldn't bet against him continuing that trend necessarily because he looks in absolutely sensational form uh, and the other man of the match candidate, of course, was Graham Swan. He took five wickets in the first innings, four in the second. Despite the wickets, I'm not sure he was quite at his best. He did bowl some unplayable deliveries, spitting out of the rough. But he did struggle with his length at times. But then if he can take nine Australian wickets without bowling particularly well, then presumably that's going to be hashtag problems for Australia <laughs> when he does get it together. Yeah, uh, Root as well. Couple of really good wickets. Potential all rounder in the making there. Well, I mean, it's extraordinarily useful to have, isn't it? So, looking good. I actually thought Stuart Broad was the pick of the bowlers, though, despite the fact that he he didn't really get um, the wickets that would that would indicate that. Um, in general, bowled that fuller length that that gives batsmen headaches, but he also uh, did bang it in to great effect at times. He, he struck Michael Clark on the helmet, and yeah, just just looked to be sort of roughing the batsman up. And I I thought he he bowled it exceptionally well. But yeah, so after being a little bit off the boil at Trent Bridge, England seemed to be getting better and better in this game. 
with the exception of two drop slip catches, I thought their, their fielding was fantastic as well. So that could be real trouble for Australia if they continue to get better in this series because can the margins of victory get any bigger than this? I don't know. Going back to the last series as well, it's just innings victory, innings victory. You know, you'd have to say for Australia, this pretty dodgy lineup in a way and the kind of horrific run of results has come at the worst possible time. The very fact that they are open to the 10 0 has got to be pretty worrying for them and they can't be looking forward to the rest of the year. I mean, what have they got to look forward to now? <laughs> it's just going to get worse. Uh, so, if, you know, if this team goes back to Australia with a hiding, then they, you know, they've got weeks of speculation and nonsense to put up with before England come to town again. It's not pleasant. Big, big test, you know, if they can come through it. I mean, if they get something out of this, you'd have to say it'd be one of the great turnarounds oh, what, in they, any sport what, if ever. if they win the Ashes from here? Not just, they, not just they win it. I mean, if they even kind of get back in the series. If they win a test from here. Well, again, I mean... It- it is interesting, though, to think about, you know, I mean, there's a, the classic boycott thing of, you know, add two wickets to the score. Again, just think about, like, add an Australian test victory to this score. If Australia do win at Old Trafford, then the narrative changes, doesn't it? And the newspapers will be starting to speculate on a potential comeback. The England dressing room might get a little bit nervous. Even if that were to happen, I would still say England will definitely win. Like, I, I just cannot see Australia winning three tests in a row. But although they've won this game incredibly comprehensively, England can't take their foot off the gas, and I don't think they will either. I don't really want to talk about DRS again at any length, Tone, except to say that there's not nearly as much controversy around it as you might think, given the fact that there's so much controversy around it. Um, Because most of the controversies that we've had in this series, and it it has seemed to almost define the Ashes so far, and um, certainly on TMS, they're all getting very frustrated with it. But most of the controversies that we've had... I think it's just been bad umpiring, not problems with the technology. It's been, it's been bad application by the umpires. There have been one or two. There was, there was, for example, you know, overturning the decision to give Ashton Agar out court behind when there was nothing on hotspot. That was a strange one though, because uh, you know maybe my eyesight was failing me, but I'm sure there was a very, very faint mark on that. No one, no one seemed to. Oh, you know, all the commentators was going. There's no mark there. And I was screaming, screaming at my telly, like when you're watching someone on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Like when you're watching someone on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, whatever it's called down in Australia. Oh, who, wants, the who wants to win a lot of money or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Am I right? yeah, I'm sure there was a definite mark. So I don't know. That was a slightly strange one though, because clearly the umpire, the third umpire, apparently gave it on uh, the noise and the deviation. So. <sighs> In which yeah, case, that, what's the point of Hotspot? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't know. But certainly, it's a no, to criticise the DRS itself is a nonsense. Well, I, I just don't understand what, where people are coming I from. I don't understand that. what's going through people's head. I mean, Blofeld on TMS was going on like, oh, it really is just getting too much now, this DRS. It's just too much. <laughs> but people are talking about it like it's a new thing. Like, it's been used for the last few years in test series involving England and most other teams around the world. And I, I felt like everyone had got used to it now and everyone was happy with it. And then I, I do think it's just been badly used by Australia to start with uh, and secondly, badly used by the umpires in some cases. But it is just this thing that just add up how many bad decisions you have in a game and then just work out on the other side how many bad decisions you would have had if there hadn't been the review system in place. Like, yes, there were one or two controversial DRS moments, but DRS also was used very effectively to overturn bad decisions in, in these two games. And as a result, the net effect is still to make the, the match better, to make there be more 
right decisions, and that's what it's there for. It's baffling to me that it people t- are so totally baffling. Are so incensed about it. Also, we talked about this a lot, but it's again, I, I feel like Ian Botham cannot be listening to the World Cricket Show because uh, he's still not <laughs> grasped this concept. And it's not just him; the concept that batsmen don't always know when they've hit the ball. I, I don't see... I just don't understand how... The, it's just not even entered his head that <laughs> a batsman might not know. Every single time, if a batsman uh, is given out and reviews it straight away, he goes, well, he must know that he's not hit it because otherwise why would he review it straight away? And then the replay sort of shows a mark on hotspot and he says it's bizarre, bizarre that he would have reviewed it because he must have known that he'd hit it. And it just doesn't enter his head, this idea that perhaps <laughs> he didn't feel an edge. By definition, if you don't know that you've hit it, then you wouldn't know that. <laughs> so there, there may have been many, many times in Ian Botham's career when he edged it but didn't feel anything. But by definition, he wouldn't know that. <laughs> so if there'd been hotspot at the time, it might have showed an edge, but there wasn't. It's, oh, it, it actually makes me angry, just that failure of thinking. And it's not. It's, I'm singling out Botham, but it's not just him. It's... it's most of the commentators seem to go on about this. I just Wait. want to go into the commentary box and just yell at them, knock some heads together. I mean, here's a quote from uh, from Gilly, who's been criticising the... Is this Gilchrist, you mean? Yeah. He says he believes cricket is being deprived of the magic moments of yesteryear. He says cricket is poorer for DRS. With DRS, Edgbaston 2005 would have been an amazing moment gone. Raised finger of an umpire was final. You couldn't challenge, and we all knew that. That magic is lost. So... The magic of it, like an unjust result is, <laughs> yeah, is gone. That's gone out of the game. Uh, madness. So, you know, when Haddon edges one and Australia lose, he'd have, he'd have rather seen... Uh, he'd have that, rather seen Haddon get away with yeah. that um, and Australia go on to win. And that would have been a magic moment yeah. for him. Oh, I, I, I can't even express I mean, like, how wrong that is. You know, I mean, he is one of the great creators of all time, so it's... Well, so is he in both of them, but that doesn't stop him being wrong about most things. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I do understand what he means in terms of, like, when a wicket falls and the fielding team goes berserk and then it's reviewed, that it can dampen things a little bit. But on the other hand, it, it can also add drama to it as you're waiting for the decision. But ultimately, you want, you want to get it right. And how often does something like Edgebuster in 2005 come around? I mean, it, it's not every time that it, it's a, you know, a magic moment that requires an umpire's decision. I mean, if Kasparovic if had been clean bold, then it, it wouldn't yeah, matter. Yeah, quite right. Really. You know, the, the Haddon thing the other day, uh, you know, it was the first time Test match has been settled by a reviewed decision. Exactly, it's the first time in four years. And equally, you know, he could have been clean bold uh, and England would have won the game. You know, the right decision was arrived at. It just so happened that... Uh, the umpire didn't see it on the field, so and it was quite tense. Like, it's quite memorable in its own way. The fact that everyone had to wait for the review. I'll certainly remember standing in the sea watching it on your phone, frantically trying to work out whether we could see the mark <laughs> on hotspot or not. I mean, that is, that is a magic moment in its own way. And it's the same thing in tennis, isn't it? The, the review system in tennis. Uh, it does seem to happen a lot that championship point. You know, it's an ace. The winning player sinks to his knees, but the opponent challenges. It's just something you've got to live with, isn't it? it it, it might kind of dampen it just very slightly, but, but that's a small sort of cost, I think, for making the sport better in every other conceivable way. We just talk about tennis more if you want to. Yeah. At the head of the World Tennis Show, there's a whole two episodes Pops of it. Pops up every now and then. <laughs> every 18 months. <laughs> Much like the United Kingdom and Commonwealth's breathless wait for a royal baby, this episode of the World Cricket Show is very much over. You happy with the name George, Tane? Yeah. Was it George 
George Louis Alexander. George Alexander Louis. George Alexander Louis. Yeah, played it safe, haven't they? Traditional, all of those things. That, that, that that's my analysis of that. It's <laughs> uh, hard to get excited about it, isn't it? Have you got sort of twenty twenty five minutes of material on the name? Because uh, that would be a good <laughs> way to it. close out the show. I think I've binned it. Are you going to be out waving your flags and celebrating at the weekend with the nation? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Just, don't know really. You don't mind if I put a load of photos from this weekend on the World Cook Show Facebook page, do you? I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> Have you got them on there? I do. I'll need yeah. to vet them. Well, because... I'll definitely need to vet them. During the weekend, there, there was a lot of... Every time I took a photo, you were like, don't put that on Facebook, Bayfield. <laughs> this was a, a constant refrain at about one o'clock on Saturday, just hearing like, and Bayfield, don't mention this on the World Cooker Show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, mate, what happens in Sark stays in Sark and also goes on the World Cricket Show right, Facebook okay. page. It's good so. to know. It did get a little bit mental at times, didn't it? There was, there was quite a funny bit where a friend of the show, Alex, who was there, as we mentioned at the start, it was very, very windy and our tents were blowing around. And on Saturday, early Saturday evening, um, Alex decided that he was going to move his tent to behind a shed to try and uh, get out of the wind a little bit. Unpegged his tent, took it over and was sort of hammering it down again in this, this new location. But it was... It was behind a shed, but it was about 10 yards away from where he was before and so very close to the, the rest of, of, of us. And uh, as he was hammering down the pegs, the old man who runs the campsite came over and was like, listen, uh, you're perfectly free to pitch your tent wherever you want, but I should just give you this one word of warning. This group here is very loud, very <laughs> raucous, bunch of louts. Uh, so you might want to think twice before you pitch there. And Alex is like, yeah, OK, no, I'll bear that in mind. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a good spot here, but maybe I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll I'll have a word with him if it gets too loud. He was quite a sweet old man. Got a stick, he was banging in pegs left, right and centre. Well, I felt a bit bad because I, I was told that uh, he was nailing down my tent. Yeah, apparently he was. While I was just off down the beach. You <laughs> were just like... sunning yourself. <laughs> yeah. And an old man with mobility issues. Quite an old man as well. Really right? old. I'd say yeah. old, yeah, in his like 80s. 80s, late 80s, I'd say. Yeah. Chasing my tent around as it, <laughs> as it blew across the field and hammering it down again, yeah. I was well. just down there throwing the frisbee around. Anyway, that's about it for this week. Uh, we're going to take a break next week, I think. Are we? I think so. Oh. Well, I mean, there's there's a, a week off now, isn't there, before the next Ashes test, so I think we might as well just come back uh, after the Old Trafford test. You know, Plus, it's it's so busy at the moment, isn't it? There's just so much so much stuff to do, so much beach to go to. <laughs> and uh, who was it? Our friend Patrick was down on the beach, just going, oh, I'm so stressed at the moment, so stressed. <laughs> so he's walking around with his shirt off, like... Chucking a waboba around. <laughs> yeah. So well, I mean, he, he was away the next day to compete, wasn't he, at the uh, the Island Games, uh, which is like a multi-event kind of games thing. It's, like, it's like an Olympics, by islands. an Olympics for islands, isn't it? It's like Guernsey. It's like Channel Islands. Isle of Man. Some of the, yeah. Uh, Bermuda, Cayman. Faroes. Orland. Gotland. And it was in Bermuda. Menorca, that sort of thing. Uh, so he was off the next day, and I think he was. He did have quite a lot to organise, but when asked... Yeah, you know, why are you so stressed when you're just kind of like strolling around the beach? Uh, he said, "Well, I've got to do this. This is on my list." Just <laughs> yeah. fair enough. It's on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> this is, there's a good photo of you. I might actually put this on Facebook. Our friend Pete uh, won a medal. He medaled at the Island Games in swimming, uh, and there's a photo of you with the medal round your neck. It's not a particularly flattering photo. <laughs> also, it's taken by somebody who can't seem to take photos. It's all out of focus and all out of poorly composed. But there you go. London correspondent Gordon McRae, you're Useless. referring to there. 
Uh, but I might post that on Facebook because it is very similar to that photo of you as like a 13-year-old boy clutching a trophy. Well, when I see someone with a trophy of some kind or a medal, I do normally tend to ask to have a photo taken with it <laughs> just so that one day, you know, I can be like, oh. You can show your grandchildren. You know, when someone... I like, won when, all of these things when I was young. When I meet someone and they're like, oh, I just have flicked through my Facebook photos if people do that. I'm sure they do regularly, to be honest. I'm sure you do every night. This guy's cool. Just having a look. At uh, but, you know, if there's a glossary, they won't ask any questions. They'll be like, oh, he's got medals. Oh, he's clearly, this guy's a he, cle- he clearly medaled at the 2013 <laughs> Island Games in Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think you, you, you just want it so you can sort of uh, impress the ladies down the, down the, the bars and the clubs, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. You'll be like, oh, I, uh, I actually medaled at the 2013 Games. And she'll be like, prove it. And you'll get the photo. Yeah, and like, she'll be like, medal. well, that's Boom. proof. Let's get a cab. <laughs> Something like it's that. like our friend uh, who basically just steals parts of all of our lives and uses <laughs> yeah. them to chat women up. Uh, he works out what that girl is interested in and then adopts the identity of whichever one of us <laughs> he thinks would be most suited to her. So if she likes cricket, he'll pretend to be one of us. Actually do this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you might I mean, know. that's very rare that that would happen. But. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever used any lines about cricket. It's actually one of my favourite things, though, overhearing chatting up going on our friend i just keep mentioning friends but our friend dan who we overheard talking about surfing this girl was like oh you surf he's like oh big time big time (laughs) which uh, i think he's ever surfed (laughs) so now he's constantly when he's on uh, nights out and around people's houses and stuff people just put on surfing usa yeah several years later jokes in jokes oh god what what fun <laughs> what fun we have <laughs> right i'm going to bed i think oh that's about it uh, although i am just going to plug a whole load of stuff now uh you can like us on facebook if you like us enough to like us uh, facebook.com slash cricket show follow us on twitter as well at Cricket Show is essentially me. At Tony Cover is Tony, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. If you just want to chat, leave us a review on iTunes as well, if you've got a moment, because we do really appreciate all of those. And you can find all of this stuff on our online website, www.cricketshow.net. You can listen to the show there. You can download the theme song for free. And yeah, T-shirts. Uh, we've sold all of our t-shirts now uh, so thanks very much to everyone who's bought one we're going to be selling more we're going to be selling new ones with new designs uh, so we'll keep you posted over the next few weeks various ideas Tony's got big ideas brand new and exciting World Cricket Show t-shirts coming your way soon anyway thanks very much for your contribution tonight Tony uh, go home and stick on the Royal Baby coverage well mate I'll probably won't get any sleep tonight stay in school everybody uh, and we'll see you next time bye for now to smell you feel
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.